please turn with me in your Bible this morning to John chapter 20, and you'll find it on page 1685, 1685 of the Church Bible. If you're watching from home this morning, it's a good idea when we in the sanctuary here open up our Bible for you to do so as well and follow along at home. And we're coming to John chapter 20, to the well-known story of Easter Sunday morning. And we're reading together verses 1 through to verse 9. And John sets the scene of what's about to happen. And it's very similar to the passage we had at the beginning of the service from Mark's Gospel. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around the head of Jesus. The cloth was folded by itself, separated from the linen, And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. And he saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Back in Easter Sunday evening, 2018, Just as I was settling down for the night, I received an email from a young dad. And it was so funny and raised a smile that I'm sure I shared it with you over the next few weeks. But it seemed appropriate to share this morning. So please forgive me if you've heard this before. And this is what he wrote. Pastor, tonight as I lay my son down for bed, he asked specifically, If we could pray for the preacher. I asked, which preacher? To which he replied, the very old one from Switzerland, who wears a skirt sometimes. (laughs) I like his preaching, and I hope he doesn't die. After composing myself, he led us in a heartfelt plea for your physical and spiritual well-being. And I have to imagine that it warmed God's heart. It certainly warmed my own heart. And it's those little emails that we receive from children that stay in our memory for a long time. And this weekend, as we celebrate Easter with Easter egg hunts and family and friends will come for dinner, or perhaps we will go and join family and friends for dinner, that eventually will be lodged in our family memory banks, and in subsequent years we will look back with great affection and say, do you remember when? And that's exactly what we're doing this morning. Not going back a couple of years and remembering an Easter egg hunt or a family dinner, but going back 2,000 years 
to remember the significance and importance of all that took place that first Easter Sunday morning. And we know that that first Easter Sunday arrived in darkness. Mary rises early and walks to the tomb just as the sun was coming up. And when she arrived, of course, she saw that the stone had been rolled away from the door. And as she peered into the tomb, she could see the linen headcloth that had been wrapped around the head of Jesus lying there along with other of the grave clothes. And she immediately went running back to Peter and John to tell them. And notice what the passage says. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. And naturally, Peter and John then run to the tomb. And John, being the youngest of the disciples, gets there first. And he stops. He doesn't go fully in. And he looks and sees exactly as Mary had described it. And when Peter arrives, being a little maturer, he steps right in and he looks as well. And there's an interesting twist in language in the original Greek here. And it doesn't say Peter saw the grave clothes. That's the English translation. The Greek translation says this, he looked with intensity He looked and tried to theorize what had happened. It's much wider and greater than he simply looked. He was trying to work out what on earth is going on. It's a little like waking up first thing in the morning and finding a bruise in the back of your hand or a rash on your forearm. Once you get up, you stand under a stronger light and look at it and think, What's that? How on earth did it get there? And you're trying to work out what has taken place. That's what Peter was doing. And I suspect he is asking exactly that question. What on earth is going on? But it's not the first time that this question has passed through his mind since Monday, Thursday. And on Thursday evening when they gathered around the table and had what we now call the Lord's Supper, they celebrated the Passover, and Jesus began to tell them that he will leave them. He will go to the cross and die, and three days later rise to life. Those questions would be running through their mind. What does he mean? What is happening And then as they moved to Gethsemane and heard him pray, and then he was arrested and tried and tortured and then sentenced to death at Golgotha. Can you imagine all that was going through the minds of Peter and John and Mary? And Peter especially On Friday evening, having lived through the most horrific day of his life, and people eventually separate in fear and try to sleep. And I imagine him tossing and turning for most of the night, thinking, what on earth is going on? And he'd be thinking back to those early days when Jesus called him and said to him, You are Simon, but you will be Peter. 
you are, but by my grace you will be. And I wonder if his mind went back to the feeding of the 5,000 with a handful of loaves and fish. The raising of Lazarus from the dead only a couple of weeks earlier. The day when Jesus, in the middle of a storm, appeared on the Sea of Galilee and asked Simon to step out into the sea. And he did exactly that. And Jesus propped him up. Was he remembering all of that? And thinking, how on earth could it end like this? He was remembering those late night conversations round a campfire with the other disciples. I also suspect he was remembering the first day that it dawned on him that God was interested in him, Simon. And suddenly, faith was no longer something someone else had. That it was much more than religion and rote and dietary restrictions and set prayers at set times on set feast days. But it was an intimate knowledge with God himself. And to be overwhelmed and transformed by the love of Christ. To hear him pray. Watch him impact the lives of thousands. And it ended like this. What on earth is going on here? And as he tossed and turned Friday into Saturday, and at some point during Saturday, I think he asked those deeper questions. And he'd be asking, If you truly are God, why did you allow this to happen? Why couldn't you stop it? Why didn't you intervene? And now look at it. It has all crumbled around us and fallen apart. Where were you when he needed you the most? What on earth is going on? And what about Mary? What about Mary? Described in Luke's gospel as being possessed by seven demons. That is not a description we see regularly in the gospel narrative. It's hard for us to get our mind around exactly what that means. But I imagine it was a life filled with toxicity and a whirlwind of self-hatred. A vortex of hate and cynicism and suspicion for others. And held at arm's length by her family. And she became unloved and unlovable. Believing the lies she was nothing and would amount to nothing. And was an outcast. And then, the carpenter from Nazareth embraces her. And welcomes her. And heals her. And at last she becomes who she used to be. Mary. Loved once again by family and friends. Welcomed wherever she went. 
And she is overwhelmed by the grace and kindness and goodness of God. Restored and made whole. And the love of God became a living reality for Mary. And then, Good Friday. And now on Easter Sunday, she has gone to the tomb early. And the body is no longer there. And she runs back to Peter and John, who then come to the tomb and find it just as she has described. And young John eventually steps inside. And notice what the passage says. He saw and believed. The penny finally dropped for John before Peter and before Mary. And he understood it. And they went back home with Peter. On that long journey back to where they were staying, thinking, and the last thing he heard me say was, I never knew him. And I betrayed him. And he went to Calvary for me, and the only thing I could do was deny him. Why did it end this way? And Mary remains in the garden, quietly crying, thinking it could not possibly get any worse. And then she's conscious of someone standing close by, and she doesn't even turn round. And he asks the question, why are you crying? And she says, they've taken my master, and I cannot find him. And he asks again, why are you crying? And she turns, and he says a single word, the word that her parents would have used when she was a wee girl. A word that would be deeply private and intimate to her. And he simply says, Mary. And she kneels down and clasps his feet. And Mary in that instant understood what John saw. And in that moment of divine revelation, when she grasped the enormity of what happened, God in all of His regenerative, creative power had brought Christ back from the dead. And history was able to breathe again, for the world would never be the same. He is not here. He has risen. And that's why on Easter Sunday morning we gather with millions across our nation, some 80 to 90 million people, a third of the population will be at an Easter service this morning, celebrating the hope of the world. It is finished. Salvation has been achieved. And we can know Him and walk with Him and be overwhelmed by His love and grace once again. May that be your experience this Easter Sunday morning. And you may be saying, Richard, oh, 
hold on a second here. Just wait a minute. Richard, my question this morning is this. And honestly, I really would like to believe. I want to believe. But in my mind, Easter's story is nothing more than a parable. It's light after darkness. It's life after death. That's all it is. Does Jesus live on? Of course he lives on in his teaching, but there was no physical resurrection. It's nothing more than a parable. Well, I think Christians across the nation and down through the centuries would want to push back a little and say, let's not mock God with parable. Let's not sidestep the transcendent Let's not turn the supernatural into parable. But recognize the resurrection for what it was and is. The supernatural, physical return of Christ from the dead. And celebrate And give thanks and put our trust and hope in him. For he is not there. He has risen. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the miracle of the resurrection. And thank you for its power in our lives Power to change us and transform us. To draw us into an intimate, abiding relationship with you. And for all of this, we do indeed give you thanks. Bless us, please, this Easter day. As we celebrate the wonder and joy of the risen Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.